This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to talk about God's design for the family. What does God want out of the family? Why did God make a family? And so those are some of the questions that we'll, we'll look at over the next month. Uh, kind of the way we have this laid out is, is on Sunday mornings, a, a different individual will take uh, one of these topics and talk about them. Uh, and so we're going to cover, uh, you know, the single life from, from the time uh, when you're a, a young person even at home until maybe through the teenage years and into young adulthood. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, marriage. We're going to talk about parenting. Uh, we're going to talk about grandparenting. And so those are kind of the things that we're going to be looking at and, and what your role is in those different stages and what God expects from you in those different stages. The baseline of the idea is what we find in the 127th Psalm in verse 1 where the Bible says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. If we don't base our family on God's design, if we don't base our, our, the structure, the foundation, the building up of the family on how God wants that to be, then it's going to be in vain. We're going to be laboring in vain. I don't know anybody that wants to labor in vain, that wants to work and work and work and see nothing for that work. And you know, that's what happens when we try to do anything our own way and not God's way, but it specifically pertains to the family, to our homes. If we're going to try to build a home and we're going to try to build that our way and not God's way, it's going to lead us down a path that's not good at all. You know, as we, we think about some things, I want to go over a few things with you as, as we uh, consider this and introduce this thought of God's design uh, for the family. The culture uh, in our country has changed drastically in the last 50 years, say. And how people view families has changed drastically in the last 50 years. Today... Cohabitation is on the rise, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But people don't get married as much as they used to. And, you know, we'll talk about living single and things like that. Certainly God doesn't have a problem with that. If you're going to live single and live a single life, God doesn't have a problem with that. In fact, God gives instructions, and God says in many ways that's good. That's good if you can do that. But people aren't just not getting married they're moving in with somebody else, and they're living with somebody else, but they're not committing to that person. They're not getting married. And so that's become very popular. In fact, today, while only 50% of 18 to 44-year-olds have ever been married, 59% of 18 to 44-year-olds have lived with somebody of the, that, that they weren't married to. And so cohabitations become very popular more adults are delaying or foregoing marriage altogether. A growing number of children are living with unmarried parents. And same-sex marriage is now legal in all 50 states. These uh, changes, uh, as we look at, in fact, people say these are good changes. These are positive changes. 
You know, we in the church look at that and we say those, those are not good changes. Those are not good for the family. That's not how God designed things. And yet people say that's good. It's a good thing. Only 16% say that it's bad that those things have occurred. The rest of the people say those, those are good changes. Those are positive changes. I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Is that God's design? When we look and we think about this phrase, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it, are people looking to God's design for the family? Are they looking to their own design? Are they looking to what they think is a better way of doing things? Seems like that's the way things have gone. And so we need to hit a reset sometimes, and we need to think about this. And so that's why we're launching in to this series of studies, because God wants godly families. He doesn't just want a family structure, family unit that somebody dreamed up and put together. He wants it done his way, just like he does on any other commands that he gives us. We need to do, God, we need to do things God's way, or we're laboring in vain. So what is God's design for the family? You know, Genesis 2 and verse 18, God, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. It's not good that man should be alone. Loneliness can drive people crazy. You know, sometimes we say, I just want a little alone time. Well, a little alone time is different than being lonely. A little alone time is different than being solitude. A little alone time is different than what God has designed. And I don't want you to think when I say that uh, it's not good for man to be alone, that you have to get married and you have to have children and those kind of things. That's not true. God's designed extended families. God's designed a church family. And God wants you to be a part of those families as well. You may be single. You may be divorced. Or you may have lived single your whole life. Or you may have lost your spouse due to death. That doesn't mean you're not part of a family. That doesn't mean you don't belong to a family. That doesn't mean you have no place. Because the Bible tells us in the 68th Psalm in verse 6 that God setteth the solitary in families. And he's talking about, in the context of this verse, he's talking about orphans. He's talking about widows. He's talking about those that, that don't have a spouse, that don't have parents. He says, I set them in families. They have a place to belong, they have a place to be, and that may be in an extended family, and it certainly should be and must be in a church family. That's God's design for the family. He wants us to be more than just our close-knit little nuclear family. He wants a, we have roles in, the, in an extended family, and we have roles in the church. And those are important roles, roles that we must fulfill, roles that we must embrace. As we think about that, you may need to be an aunt or an uncle or cousin. And you may have an important role to play in that. We're going to talk about marriage in the context of this because it's important. But we're also going to talk about single life and, and how that's important as well. So, God's design for the family. What is it? Well, it starts with godly men and women, doesn't it? It starts with men and women. There are two genders, men and women. That's how God designed it. That's how God made it. That's how God set it up. And if we're going to have the foundation of a godly family, then it's got to be with godly men and women, whether they're single godly men and single godly women or whether they're godly men and women that come together in the union of marriage. It starts and has to start with us following the will of God as 
men and women. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27 and 28, it says, So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. That's the way God did it. God made male and female. He didn't make any other genders. And he didn't make male and male. And he didn't make female and female. He didn't do that. Why? Because God knew how this worked. God was the designer. God was the architect. God made male and he made female. And he made them unique and he made them different so that they could work together. Because he knew men had weaknesses and he knew men would have struggles. And so he designed females to compensate that. And he knew females would have weaknesses and, he, and they would have struggles. And he designed males to compensate that. And so those things that create strife between the genders, and they do, they also were made by God for a purpose. To make us work together in a more effective manner. Genesis 2 and verses 21, beginning in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, and he closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. This is... This is the process that God went through. We've heard that story since we were little children. But I don't know if it's ever more important to go back and revisit it as it is now. This is what God did. God made man and he made woman. And he caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he took out one of Adam's ribs and he made Eve. And that's what God did. That's how we all got here. If God had not have done that, we would not be here. God could have said, I'm going to make two men... And I'm going to join them together in a union. And they're going to live. And you know what? They would have never procreated. We wouldn't be here. He could have took two women. He could have done the same thing. We would never be here. God could have made it where they were still alive. They were still living in the Garden of Eden. Whatever God wanted to do. But he didn't do that. He made man and he made a woman. And he made them where they could procreate. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Otherwise we couldn't be. Jesus reminded the Pharisees of this in the 19th chapter of Matthew in verse 4. He answered and said to them, Have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? To Jesus it was very fundamental. It was very fundamental. And he questioned these wise people of the law whether they had even read the book of Genesis. <laughs> Have you even read Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3? Have you even read that? Do you know that this is what happened that God made male and female? And that's what he did. And that's the basis of families. If we don't have male and female, we don't have families. You take a group of people of the same gender and you put them out on a, on a deserted island with no contact with anybody else. You know how long they last? No, maybe 70 years. Then there's nobody left on that island. There's nobody left. But you take men and women and you put them out there together on a desert island, they can form a society. They can have marriages. They can produce children. And you go out there in 100 years or 200 or 300 and guess what you got? You got a society. 
You've got a society of people out there. Now, they may or may not be following God's law. And that's where the godly part comes in. You can have a society built on solely worldly values. That's not God's plan. That's not God's desire. He wants there to be men and women. He wants there to be church families. He wants there to be extended families. And he wants them to be following his will. He wants them to be doing his will. And so we've got to strive to do that. And Brother Zane's going to focus on that. He's going to talk about that in more depth. I could talk about it all day. I'm going to let him talk about it all day. I do want to point out something as we get to the, to the transition. You know, there comes a time when you've got to make a decision in life. Are you going to get married or are you not going to get married? It's one of the biggest decisions you'll make in your life. Choosing a spouse and making that decision is tremendously important to you. It will affect the way that you live. It will draw you nearer to God or it will push you further away from God. There's no doubt about that. You've got to be serious about that. But you know, some people don't ever get married. And that's okay. That doesn't mean they're breaking God's design for the family. It's okay. Do you know a very important person who never got married? I do, and his name was Jesus Christ. His name was Jesus Christ. He lived a lifestyle as a single man. He never got married. He did that without sin. There was no sin involved in that. We know he was perfect in every way. And so there's nothing wrong with that. In Matthew 19 and verse 12, uh, Jesus is doing some explaining here. He says, For there are some eunuchs which were born from their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs which were made eunuchs of men, and and there be eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He that is able to receive it, let him receive it. So this is a a complicated verse in some ways. We don't use the the word eunuch very often anymore. Uh, We know about an Ethiopian eunuch who was baptized, and that's about the extent of our knowledge about eunuchs sometimes. But a eunuch was just someone who either could not reproduce or, you know, did not have a desire to reproduce. So that's, that's basically what a eunuch is or what a eunuch was. And so Jesus says there were some eunuchs which were born that way. They have no sexual desire. They can't reproduce or they have no sexual desire. Or let me go one step further. Perhaps they are attracted to somebody of the same sex. Perhaps they would be what we would call a homosexual. They were born. Now does that mean they can act on those homosexual desires? No. Because God has defined what marriage is. He has defined fornication. And if we're going to have sexual relations, it can only happen within a marriage. That is the only place where God sanctions that. He does not sanction it outside of marriage. And God has said that only a man and a woman can be joined together in marriage. And so while people may be born with those desires, they may have those desires from birth... It's not okay for them to act on them. What is okay is for them to never get married. What is okay is for them to live a celibate lifestyle. And they can, be, they can do that and they can fulfill God's word in doing that. It's very possible and it's very much what the Bible says to do. So if you're going to be single, whether you're just single because you know, never met the right one, 
or whether you're single because you're attracted to somebody of the same sex or whether you're single for some other reason. He says, that's fine. Live single and live celibate. You're fulfilling God's word. You can be a great aunt. You can be a great uncle. You can be a great cousin. You can be a great niece, a nephew, whatever the case may be. You're still part of a family. You can still be part of God's family. You just have to live single and you have to live celibate. He said, there are others which were made that way of men. The Ethiopian eunuch, he was a watcher over a queen. You know what they had done to him most likely? They had castrated that man and put him in watch of that queen. So he couldn't couldn't reproduce. And so he was made that way by a man. Was that right? No. But they were made that way. He said, there are others which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. They just decided. The apostle Paul's one such man. He decided it's better for me to be single. It's better for me to serve the kingdom. I'm not going to marry. I'm not going to have sexual relations. I'm going to remain celibate. I'm going to serve God. And he said, that's good. Him that is able to receive it, let him receive it. And so if you're single, that's what you're called to do. Whether you're single and have never got married, whether you're single and you're divorced, whether you're single because you've lost your spouse, he said, if you're going to remain single, serve God. Serve God in that role. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 7. For I would that all men were even as myself. This is Paul. How was Paul? He had made himself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He had said, I'm going to be celibate. For I would that all men were even as myself, but every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them even to abide, if it is good for them if they abide even as I. But if they cannot contain, let them marry, for it is better for them to marry than to burn. He said, if you're unmarried, no matter what, you've never been married before, you've been divorced, you've, you're a widow or a widower, he said, I'm going to give you some advice. He said, it's good if you just be like me. Paul said, it's good if you just be single. That's good for you. But he said, if you cannot contain, in other words, if you have a sexual desire that's so strong that you just cannot contain it, and you're going to go out and you're going to sleep with people, You're going to have sexual relations with people. He said, don't just go do that. That's not okay. It's not okay just to go commit fornication. He said, you've got to get married. It's better to marry than to burn in passion, he says. If we look in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse number 1, he says, Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. And so Jesus, and through, through his word and, and Paul through the Holy Spirit here, is saying this. He's saying God has a plan for marriage. And it doesn't involve this cohabitation. It doesn't involve committing fornication. It doesn't involve this moving in with somebody and fulfilling your sexual desires until you get tired of them. And then moving in with somebody else and fulfilling your sexual desires until you get tired of them. That's not God's design for the family. That's what America supports today. That's what you're going to hear is great. 
That's what you're going to hear people say, oh, live the single lifestyle, enjoy the single lifestyle. And that's why now uh, 25% of 40-year-olds have never been married. They're delaying marriage, and you can say, oh, that's good. They're going to be single and celibate. No, they're not being single and celibate. They're having multiple sexual partners, and they're delaying marriage because they're fulfilling that lust and that desire in a worldly way. God said don't do that to avoid fornication he said flee fornication every sin that a person commits he says they do it without their body but a man that commits fornication sins against his own body God views fornication in a very negative light very negative light and it's been glorified in our society and it's not right it's not the basis for a family it's not the foundation of a family God's family, God's design for family is either you live single and celibate or you get married. And when you get married, you're going to put Christ at the center of that marriage. You're going to put Christ at the center of that marriage. 61% of people today say same-sex marriage is good for society. Not just okay. Not just okay. They say it's good for society. Brothers and sisters, it's not good for society. Society will fail if everybody in society turns to same-sex marriage. It will fail within a generation because we cannot, we cannot reproduce in that fashion. You know, trust the science. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. As I said before, 25% of 40-year-olds have never been married and, it, and before you think, you know, that's a good thing, they're living celibate lifestyles for God, 59% of them are living in some kind of cohabitated uh, residence. They're living with somebody. The Bible calls that chambering. That's not God's design. God made man and woman for this cause. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 5, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain but one flesh. What God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Brother Jace is going to spend some time talking about marriage and focusing on that and what it means and how to live a Christ-centered marriage. And so we're just going to introduce a few thoughts of that this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 14, he says, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, and give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. And so marriage is a good thing. When you cannot contain and you cannot live a single celibate lifestyle, he says it's good to marry. He says, I want the young women to marry, to bear children, to guide the house. And again, to do that in a godly way, to not give occasion to the adversary. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 2, the second part of that verse says, take, uh, Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. When you make a commitment to your spouse uh, in your youth, you're making a, a, God, a, a vow to God. You're making a commitment to them before God. He says, don't deal treacherously with them. Don't cheat on them. Don't treat them reproachfully. He says, don't do that. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives 
and be not bitter against them. This is probably the most simple and effective advice in the whole Bible. This is simple and effective advice, and yet it's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. Today's society does not promote wives submitting to their husbands. It just doesn't. And you can think whatever you want to think about that, but it's pretty plain and black and white in the Scriptures. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Society does not promote that husbands not become bitter against their wives. And yet it's pretty plain right there in black and white. Husbands, don't be bitter against your wives. Have a forgiving attitude. And you know, those two things work amazingly in tandem, don't they? Those things work together. When wives submit themselves to their husbands, their husbands tend to love them and not to be bitter against them. When husbands love their wives and they're not bitter against them, you know what wives tend to do? They tend to submit themselves to their husbands. So simple. So simple. And they work together. And you can fight about who needs to do that first or whatever, but somebody take the initiative. If you're having trouble in your marriage and you're not submitting to your husband, Submit to him and see if that doesn't help him to love you and not be bitter against you. And if you're a husband and you're struggling in your marriage, maybe try loving your wife and not being bitter against her and see if maybe then she submits to you. Because that's simple but effective advice in the way God says to make marriage. The next step in God's design for the family is is children. Again, a society can't function if we're not ever having children. If we're never having children, we'll cease to exist within a generation. We just don't live that long. We can't outlast death. We've got to have children so that society continue to go. And God wants them to be obedient children. He wants them to flow right back up in here to this line. He wants obedient children to become obedient men and women that love him and want to serve him. And that's the function of God's design. He wants it to go on and on. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Children are a blessing. And yet 62% of Americans support the full legalization of abortion. 62%. 95% of people in Sweden support the full legalization of abortion. They don't look at children as a blessing. They look at children as a burden, as a hindrance. I want to live the single life. I want to have fun. I want to go around and do what I want to do. That's not God's design. God doesn't want children to be aborted. God wants children to be a blessing. He wants them to grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. He wants them to serve Him. That's what God wants. Genesis 1 and verse 28, And God blessed them, and, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. God said to Adam and Eve, this is what I want from your marriage. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply and I want you to replenish this earth. And he said something similar to Noah. He said, I want you all to go forth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And God be thanked that they did or we wouldn't be here. We need children. We need children. And not just children, but children that are godly children. 
Adam and Eve followed that command in Genesis 4 and verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. Where do the children come from? They come from the Lord. It's a blessing from God. Again, we read Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15 a minute ago. We read the second part of that verse. I want to reference the first part of that verse now. Uh, because he's talking about marriage. And he says, and did he not make one? Yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one? I want you to listen to this. Wherefore one? Why did God want marriage in the first place? Why did God join man and woman together in marriage in the first place? He said that he might seek a godly seed, that, he might, that they might produce godly children, so that they could have children that would grow up and that would serve the Lord. That's why God instituted marriage. And if we want to ask the big question of why did God design the family, folks, that's it. God designed the family so that godly offspring could be produced. So that he would have people that would follow him generation after generation after generation. That's what God wants. Genesis 18 and verse 19, talking about Abraham, he said, For I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. He said, I know him. He's going to teach his children. He's going to teach his household. They're going to follow me. They're going to be obedient. I've got the wrong verse there. I didn't, didn't change my verse. Um. See if I can find that right quick. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children are supposed to obey their parents. God doesn't want just children running around out there doing whatever they want to. In fact, he said that foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. He wants children who will obey their parents. <clears throat> That's Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Colossians 3 and verse 20. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. <clears throat> all right, so we've got godly men and women, Christ-centered marriage, obedient children. And then in part of God's design, God wants older teaching younger. And this is where the grandparenting comes in, isn't it? God doesn't just want us trying to guess. God doesn't want us just going out there and feeling our way through this process on our own. God set up a design in which the older would advise the younger. They would tell them what they've been through. They would tell them the mistakes they made. They would help them to be successful. In Titus chapter 2 and verse number uh, 3, it says, The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior, as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now, why do you suppose God in his wisdom would give this advice or this instruction? Perhaps it's because young women don't know how to love their husbands. They don't know how to love their children. They don't know how to be discreet and chaste. Keepers at home, they don't know how to be good and obedient to their husbands. They don't know. They have to be shown. They have to be taught. And who does he give that to? Who does he give that responsibility to? He says the aged women. 
You older women need to teach the younger women how to do that. And somewhere along the line in American society, brothers and sisters, we quit doing that. We quit doing that. And look where it's gotten us. Now people don't know how to love their husbands. And they want to just go shack up with whoever they can shack up with. And they want to abort their kids because they don't know how to love them. And they want to just go and do what they want to do because they don't know. And the older women never taught them how. And before I pick too much on the older women, older men, we've done the same thing. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed having no evil thing to say of you. Young men don't know how to be sober-minded. They don't know how to show themselves a pattern of good works. They don't know the doctrine. They are not uncorrupt. They don't even know what gravity and sincerity mean. They don't have sound speech. And why don't they have those things? And why don't they know how to do those things? Because the old men didn't teach them how to do it. They didn't teach them. We've got to get back to the basics of doing this. Old men that are here, old women that are here, you need to take the younger aside and you need to teach them. You need to show them how to do those things. You need to tell them how to be godly because they don't know how. They don't just inherently know how. They've got to be taught. They've got to be shown. And sure, they can dig into the scriptures and they can figure it out on their own. But what percentage of people do that? Very small. Very small. People follow what they see the older folks doing. And we want to look back and say, those young people, they're lazy and they don't do this and they don't do that. Where'd they learn that? (laughs) Where'd they learn that? We got to be better in this area. Older must teach younger. That's part of God's design. It's a critical part. It's not just part of it. It is a critical part of God's design for the family. And so don't think that extended family doesn't matter. It matters. It matters a great deal. It's very important. And finally, God's design is that this takes place in perpetuity, that it goes on and on and on, that it is a perfect cycle, that godly men and women either live a single celibate lifestyle and they're a great influence on their nieces and nephews or they get married. And when they're married, they produce godly children. And those godly children are taught by their parents and grandparents. And that cycle goes around again and again and again. They become godly men and women who either live single and godly and celibate or they get married and they produce children. And it goes on again and again and again. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, the just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. Why is the man of integrity's children blessed? Because they become people of integrity. They grow up to become people of integrity. And the cycle goes on and on and on. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse number 5, the opposite of that is also very much true. Exodus 20 verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, under the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Now, I struggled with this verse for a long time because I thought, you know, the Bible teaches that the 
The children shall not bear the iniquity of the father. It's not the kids' fault what their parents did. And they don't bear the iniquity of their fathers. I'm not going to answer for the sins of my parents. My parents are not going to answer for my sins. That's not the way it works. And yet, the influence of the parents and the grandparents is what he's talking about here. He said, if you go serve a false god, if you leave the God of Israel, and you go and you serve a false god, and you bow down yourself before that false god, he said, what's going to happen? Your children are too. One of the interesting things in some of this research that I looked at is that children adopt, largely adopt, the religion of their parents. They adopt the religion of their parents. Why? Because that's what they saw. They were influenced by that. And so if you're going to go worship a false image, whether that's actually the golden calf or whether that's a lifestyle where I'll do what I want when I want to do it, that's what your children are going to do. And that's what their children are going to do. And that's what their children are going to do. But if you'll adopt a lifestyle whereby you love God and you keep His commandments, guess what? That's what your children are going to do. And that's what their children are going to do. And that's what their children are going to do. And it's going to continue on in perpetuity. That's God's design. That's what God wants. He wants families that build a foundation on God and Christ that produce families that build a foundation on God and Christ, that produce families that build a foundation on God and Christ. That's God's design. And what these men are going to talk to you about over the next several weeks is what that looks like. They're going to go into detail about what living single looks like and what that means and how to live that way. They're going to go into detail about what a godly marriage looks like and how to live a godly marriage And sustain a godly marriage. They're going to go into detail about what parenting, godly parenting looks like. And how to raise children that are going to be those godly men and women when they're adults. And they're going to talk about grandparenting. And what it means for the older to teach the younger. What it means for the older to influence the younger. And how that's going to affect us. And so I hope you'll come and and be part of that series and learn together with us. So we can get better in these areas. We've got to get better. Society is only as strong as families. And when families fail, societies fail. It happens over and over again. As we prepare to close, I want to ask you a question. Are you a part of the most important family? The most important family, and that's God's family. God wants you to be a part of his family. That's the church. The church is the family of God. He says in Mark chapter 10 and verse number 29, Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold. Now, in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions in the life in a world to come eternal life. He said, look, I've set the solitary in families. I've set the solitary in families. And what does that look like when you're a member of the household of God? It looks like while you may be an orphan, you've got hundreds of parents. You may be an orphan from birth. You've got hundreds and hundreds of parents. You may be, you may not have a brother. 
a fleshly brother. He said, in the church, you have hundreds and hundreds of brothers. You may not have a sister. In the church, you have hundreds and hundreds of sisters. You may not have children. You may have not ever been able to have children. He says, in this life, in the church, you have hundreds and hundreds of children. That's what the church offers. That's what the church brings. It is the most important family. The most important family. And if you're not part of it, you don't get to inherit that. You are lonely. You are lonely. You may have the biggest worldly family that there is. If you're not in the house of God, you're lonely. He says in Galatians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 4, But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. Listen, that we might receive the adoption of sons. When you become a Christian, you're adopted by God. You're adopted by God. You become the son of God, the daughter of God, the child of God. And because you're a son, he says, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You can inherit eternal life. You can inherit the promise that's given to the Son, Jesus Christ. He said, you sit here on my right hand. That's the promise given to his Son. And you know what he says? When you become a child of God, when you are adopted by God, when you're added to his kingdom, when you're added to his family, when you're added to the church, he said, you get the same, the same gift, the same inheritance. As Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? I'm not worthy of that inheritance. I'm not worthy to receive what Christ has received. But because I'm a child of God. Because I'm in God's family. It's what I'm going to get. It's what you can get too. If you're in God's family. If you're not in God's family. The promise hasn't been offered. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you been added to the kingdom? Have you been added to the family? If you haven't let us help you with that this morning. There's water in the baptistry. He said when you're buried with him in baptism, you're risen to walk in newness of Christ. He said old things are passed away, all things are become new. You're added to the family. He said the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. And he added them through obedience to the gospel. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.